From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. I'm Mick Garrison. This is the fun size postmortem Ask Mick Anything, where you can ask me anything. And uh, by doing that, just send your questions to us at Twitter at PostmortemMG and at Inst- Instagram at PostmortemGram. And our producer, Joe Russo, will field them and uh, pose them to me. And here I am to, to do that yet again. Yeah. So this is something we do every other week between the interviews that are uh, on alternating weeks. Yes. So it's just a little snack-sized show. That yeah, we're something, something fun to give back to the fans because we never get a chance to interview you. So, Which is fine. You know, <laughs> no, it's not. That's why we're doing oh, this. Oh, okay. Uh, all right. So I, I have a couple music-themed questions Ooh, to ask that, okay. that came through that I thought were, were interesting. The first one, this is, this is a softball. It should be an easy one. Uh, Sigmund Seven Cinema asks, who wrote and performed the Hungry Heifer Jingle for Critters 2? Wow. Well, we just happened to have that composer in the room with us, my wife, Cynthia, wrote the Hungry Heifer Jingle. Um, wow, really? I yeah. didn't know that. So, <laughs> uh, really, I thought this was a setup. <laughs> and, and she sang it, too. Really? Yep. And uh, I, I wrote one line at the Hungry Heifer, We Won't Give You a Bum Steer. But all of the rest was Cynthia. And she sang it and performed it and uh, and wrote it. And so, uh, yeah, so this wasn't a setup. This huh? was not a setup. Oh, no, this okay. is a legit question that came yeah. through. Yep. And I think it's just extra special that Cynthia is here to hear it get asked. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Polish so, your fingernails. The, so, all right. So, Ms. Saunders underscore ink asks how did you decide to use crowded houses don't dream it's over Uh, in the stand that's a really good question there was a different song in the script that king had done for the stand what was do you remember it was yeah it was the beach boys fun 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 (laughs) and so the counterpoint i understand the counterpoint he was going for sure but this was an elegy this was a montage that needed to be really emotional and really really you feel it as much as you hear it and i think don't dream it's over is one of my favorite songs pop songs ever ever maybe when we we got this question i immediately put it on on my phone to listen to it (laughs) it is it's and and, in the song in that moment in the movie is so iconically well it's melancholy 
and beautiful and loving and evocative. Yeah. And, you know, Neil Finn's voice, uh, Neil Finn, who wrote and, and sang the lead on that song, it's, it's magical and, and unique and just so emotional. And this is, this is about burying a parent that you loved and having someone taken away from you. Yeah. And just the title, Don't Dream It's Over, Hey Now, Hey Now, Don't Dream It's Over, um, is just beautiful and, and right on point. And yeah. once I did that and played it for King, he was completely sold. Well, that's what I was going to yeah. ask next was like, cause, because he wrote in a different song, is that's how you did it was you edited it together, you put the song in and then yeah. you showed it to him. Yeah, exactly. And, and he went... He loved it. He's a big Crowded House fan too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I, I've seen them in concert six or seven times uh, and split ends as well, which th- was the predecessor to Crowded House. Yeah. And I just love their music. So when you saw that sequence cut together, did you try putting Fun, Fun, Fun on it? And no. you just, no. Okay. Right. I was just, I was just <laughs> Quite honestly, one, before we started shooting, you I, was, knew. I knew I wanted that song yeah. in there. Why, yeah. why do you think that song? Why not any other song? Just because it was an important song to me, yeah, it's something I'd played a lot, and it, you know, I even you know learned the chords and played yeah. it on guitar and stuff. Nice. But I just the wistfulness of those shots, the 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 waves crashing in with a with a, a doll that's been abandoned on a beach, uh, the clouds in the sky, the the body uh, hanging from a Ferris from a yeah. from a merry-go-round. You know, all of those things just feel the sound and the speed of that song. It's wistful and it's oceany and it's it's life and death. I think I'm going to listen to it on the way home. The, uh, <laughs> the, so actually, that leads me to another question just of my own curiosity. Did King write most of the music cues into the script or... Was that no, not particularly well, the one I'm I'm scratching at? Don't is, fear the reaper. Yes, that was in the script, wow. and you could not find a better song. No, I don't to think open you could. that miniseries. No, no. yeah, I mean it's iconic. King wrote a lot of them in, and uh, but not all of them. And the ones he wrote in, we did use, except for fun, fun, fun. Wow, so that and, was the bit. That was the big change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in writing the bullet, you know, it's a period movie in 1969, and and. Those were, I mean, I wrote that script, but those right. were scripted in, and I managed to get all of them but two that I wanted. That's amazing, yeah. especially all the music clearance hurdles you have to go through. To... Well, especially now, but yeah. 15 years ago, it was a little bit easier. That's good. Yeah. Well... <laughs> all right, well, so so the next music question I thought was, I thought this was really interesting. I hadn't even thought about this at all, and I think it's oh. interesting given your relationship. Uh, but so Rancho VHS asks, now that we know John Carpenter will score movies for hire, would you consider asking him to do a score for one of your upcoming projects? I think it would be great. Yeah. You know, he never was available to no. do it for other movies until the Halloween remake of last yeah. year. Yeah. And I think it would be great. Mostly, I really love an orchestral score. Right. Uh, rather It would than, be very different for, for It would be totally style. different. Yeah. But... You know, evolution is what it's about. Sure. And, and to be able to try different things, I would love to do it. I don't know that he would do it sure. for something other than a Halloween movie. Uh, um, well, I know. I think he's, he is doing a couple other things. And, uh, you know, w- the first 
uh, scoring gig that Cody Carpenter had was for Masters of Horror. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but no, I, th- I, I know would. he's having so much fun doing it. I saw uh, him for the first time finally in Sitges, Spain last right, year at the when, festival. When Nightmare was there. And yeah. it was amazing. I, you know, it's not just he's really good for a director who has a band. Right. No, it's right. just really good. Yeah. Yeah. Full stop. I heard uh, they did this Halloween documentary podcast uh, last fall. And they played clips from him in his like late seventies, early eighties band singing, and he actually the Coupe de Ville. Yeah, the Coupe de Ville. I sing saw, pretty the, well. The only time I saw Carpenter in a band playing music, yeah, was when they were shooting the scene in Escape from New York in the mid in the Wiltern Theater, which was thrashed and abandoned and just a shithole. Yeah, and. And Nick Castle was in that band. Yes, he was. I, I yeah. just saw Nick the other night for the first time in like 30 years. Oh, that's great. And uh, it was thrilling to watch that. Nobody yeah. was singing in that scene. No. But, no, no. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, it's, and to watch how much joy John gets out of this. I, yeah. I saw him smile more in that concert in Sitges than I've ever seen him smile. <laughs> and you've spent enough time with him to know. So, yeah. uh, all right. Well, so transitioning a little bit, we've been getting a lot of, questions about working with actors mm-hmm. and so i thought i'd hit you with a couple in a row just mm-hmm. to you know answer, answer them at once um so so one question that's come up a couple times is working with difficult actors mm-hmm. and your experience and no, one, no one's asked you to name names in okay. particular but yeah. how do you handle that situation when an actor is being difficult on set the main thing is you want them to know that you're on their side and you want them to give the best performance that they can and to be doing it by encouragement and not saying this is how you should do it mm-hmm. or this is what I want. You know, oftentimes, and you know, one that comes to mind particularly was a very, very famous star who was not at the peak of his career when we worked together, but he had played this character before and knew it better than I did, mm. um, but also was testing me and kind of pushing buttons and seeing where I'd go. And just always letting them know that what you want is what's best for them as well as for the movie. Yeah. Sometimes an actor will ignore the actors in scenes around him, and you just have to find a way to encouragingly let them know that they're not the only one in the scene without putting it that way, that uh, getting them to share. Um, I love working with actors and have had very few difficult... I could count the difficult actors over the 30 years I've been doing this on one hand. I watched you make Mickey Rourke exceedingly <laughs> happy, which I, you, so you, you know what you're doing in terms of taking people who are notoriously interesting to work with. Well, he's and, an intimidating guy. <laughs> he is an intimidating guy. But, and, and I think you know it was a money gig for him sure. that he ended up having a really good time doing it. Oh, he was all smiles by the end of the night. Yeah. yeah. He was threatening to come knock producers out in the morning. And then by the end of the day, literally literally was. (laughs) I was sitting there. But that's Uh, the thing, you know, is you appreciate what they do and what they are and why they're special. Yeah. And, and try and, and work with that. And, you know, even the ones who have oversized ego, yeah. you kind of need it to be an artist to feel that you have value worth putting on the screen. Yeah. I remember I did a proof of concept at my old production company that I was a producer on and we had Michael Ironside in it. And oh yeah. He, he tested 
like tested the director and then said later I was testing you. Yeah. Why why do you think these older veterans do that? Well, to know that you're not just making pretty pictures. Right. You know, for an actor and uh, the central thing is the characters in a movie. You right. don't have it without the characters. Right. You can have great effects, you can have amazing visuals. Right. And and I think that may be a concern is they want to make they sure they're not a prop. Yeah, that they're not overwhelmed by the cinema of it. Right. And right. um yeah, I'm making air quotes uh, which really works <laughs> well on a podcast. But uh, but yeah, I think I think it just is they don't want to be lost in it that that the characterizations are what are is most important in the telling of the story. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, so this is this is someone asked, what do you feel about like if the actor is not getting the line, would you resort to doing line readings? What do you think about that? I um, try to avoid it at yeah. all costs. Yeah, but. A lot of actors will ask for it if they don't understand. Right. You know, I will dance around it as much as I can, even to say, well, put the emphasis on this word and less on this word, or encourage them to use their own words as long as it doesn't change the meaning or how it affects the other actors in the scene. But if... If I feel that I'm going to do more good than harm, I'll go there. But I will do everything I can not to because it's respectful. I'm not a good actor. Right, right. Yeah, you don't want to hire yourself to be in the movie. (laughs) And and I had an actor say, show me, just so that he could humiliate me (laughs) in front of the crew. Um, But, uh, you know, I'm not a good actor, but I know what a good performance is and the director has to know what every department is doing in in a scene right an actor only needs to know what he or she is doing but i need to know how it relates to the scenes surrounding it i need to know photographically how best to amplify the emotions we're going after in the storytelling what the sound is all of those things the more you know about each of those things they feed it but at the very center of it is the people in the story yeah speaking of the people in the story uh one other question that came up and i'm curious to get your opinion on it is some directors you know i i mean depending on the budget you sometimes you get the luxury of rehearsal and table read sometimes you're meeting the actor the day of uh often uh so what's your opinion about character bios and giving the actors homework or do you prefer to let them kind of try to find the character and then talk it through with them or what's what's your stance on that well i always want to to meet with them if possible beforehand and talk about that stuff i'm not one to give an actor you know Often I write what I direct as well. Right. So I have a pretty good idea of who these characters are, but I also want it to be something the actors can identify with as much as possible and incorporate their personalities into it as well. So I encourage them to to work on what they think their approach is in concert. Um, but I'm not somebody who will write pages of, of their history to come in. You know, if it's important, if it matters, yes. And if that's an actor's approach, I encourage that too. But usually, you know, um, we'll have a discussion about who this character is and we'll explore it together. But more, I don't think I've had 
a rehearsal in anything I've shot in the last 15 years. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. The table uh, reading on TV series, but that's that's it. different. Yeah, yeah. Do you think was there any specific example that you can think of where you sat down with an actor and you had one idea for the backstory in your head and they brought up an idea that kind of changed things? Yeah, it'll often. I can't give you a specific example, but that'll often happen where they'll bring a perspective into it. That you know, that's their job too, not right. just to to recite the lines the way they're told. Right. Um, and I love that. Uh, you know, I I love a thinking actor yeah. who uh, contributes to the depth of that character. Yeah. Well, I've always I've often heard you said that one of your favorite parts of working with actors is when they they surprise you or something. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, when we were casting The Stand um, and the first actor we read was Matt Frewer, who at the time was doing Dr. Doctor and he had just done, you know, uh, uh, Max Headroom and was really kind of Jim Carrey before there was Jim Carrey. And so he comes in to play this insane character and he did it with pathos. And it was such a shock and a surprise. Yeah. It literally brought tears to the eyes of the people in the room, which wow. were me and Stephen King and the casting director, Lynn Kressel. So. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So, well, I think on that note. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, this has been uh, the fun size postmortem Ask Mick Anything. And you can ask me anything uh, on Instagram at Postmortem Graham and at Twitter on Postmortem MG. And uh, Joe Russo will be our, uh, our host for these uh, every other week uh, events. Thanks, Mick. Appreciate it. Thank you. If you're enjoying Postmortem, it would be a great, great favor to us for you to rate and review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Uh, You can access all of my video interviews and behind-the-scenes documentaries, things like that, at mickgarrisinterviews.com. Reach us on Twitter at PostmortemMG and on Instagram on PostmortemGram. Thanks a lot for listening. Thanks for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every other Wednesday and subscribe on iTunes.